0: Welcome to Spawn, a common sense, generally fun, and hopefully helpful discussion on parenting and parenting culture. Hey, I'm Liz Gumbener, and along with Kristen Chase, we're the co-founders of CoolMomPics.com. Kristen is sadly out today, but I am talking with Judith Warner about the article that everyone's talking about this week, the article she wrote for the Times on how to help your adolescent think about the last year and why parents need to stop calling it a lost year. This will be a great discussion. And of course, we'll close out our show with our cool picks of the week. We'll be back with Judith right after this. This episode of Spawned is brought to you by Candlewick Press and the brand new picture book Rock from the Sky from John Klassen, who, as you know, is a favorite around here. You probably know his Caldecott-winning hat trilogy of picture books, and if so, you are especially going to love Rock from the Sky, a hilariously dark picture book which has been called waiting for Godot for the playground population. (laughs) Really. But don't worry, it is super kid-friendly. Kids will laugh along as animal friends, turtle, armadillo, and snake suddenly process a giant rock falling out of the sky. Oh, and there's an alien too. Check out Rock from the Sky now from John Klassen, available wherever you get books. So let me tell you a little bit more about Judith Warner. She's the author of the new book, And Then They Stopped Talking to Me, Making Sense of Middle School. And in fact, we spoke to her about that very book right here on Spawn just a few months back. She's also published eight previous works of nonfiction, including the New York Times bestsellers, Perfect Madness, Motherhood in the Age of Anxiety, and Hillary Clinton, The Inside Story. She's also a longtime New York Times contributor. She's best known for her popular column, Domestic Disturbances, and she's a former special correspondent for Newsweek in Paris. She now lives in Washington, D.C. We're talking to her from there right now. She's there with her husband and her two daughters, and she speaks frequently on American family life, workplace issues, and mental health. And today we're going to be talking about all those things, really, which all were featured in her incredible New York Times article, which you must read immediately if you have not already seen it shared by every parent you know in every one of your social feeds. Welcome, Judah. Thanks for having
1: me. It's so great to be back.
0: I know. And we were saying we planned this a while ago, and this worked out so perfectly that your massive viral article just came out this week you
1: know, it's really exciting. Well, first of all, it's exciting that we got the timing down like that. We never could have done that if we had planned, but it's incredible the way it went viral. And yet, sort of disturbing at the same time in terms of some of the reaction to it. Yeah, well, we're going to
0: get to that in a second. First, listen, for those of our listeners who have not yet read it, it's really fantastic. You should look it up. It's from, I believe, the April 11th issue of New York Times. Just an excerpt from this to give you a sense. She writes, mothers and fathers of middle schoolers, the parenting cohort long known to researchers as the most angst-ridden and unhappy, are connecting now in a specific sort of common misery, the pressing fear that their children, at a vital inflection point in their academic and social lives have tripped over some key developmental milestones and may never quite find their footing again. Experts say some of their worries are justified, but only up to a point. Now, as a middle schooler myself, Judith, I would like to also read, this is fascinating. Just yesterday, our middle school principal sent your article around to like hundreds of parents, everybody on the mailing list. And here's what she wrote about it. Just as a quick excerpt. She said, I found myself reading and rereading the article, The Writer you clearly states that our middle school children are more resilient than we realize and will be okay. She adds that adults who can model resilience are important for our children. This article is about hope. She wrote that in all caps. It is about looking at your children for the strengths they have developed, for the reasons you can be proud and for the confidence you can give them moving forward, which I took away from it too. So are you surprised by the positive response? Are you surprised by the negative responses? Like, are you hearing things more like our principal wrote or are you hearing people pushing back?
1: Well, you know, it depends on who I'm hearing from. And I just want to say thank you so much for sharing that with me yesterday and now for sharing it with other people, because it really feels so good to hear that and to hear that, you know, from somebody who has worked with thousands of middle schoolers. It makes me feel like I did what I intended to do. The response is, you know how it is when you do something yourself. Everyone who knows you says, "Yay, great. And so you hear all these positive responses. But what was really surprising to me and I guess this is sort of idiotic naivete on my own part, but it was the negativity on Twitter, which started up almost immediately. Oh,
0: Twitter. Yeah,
1: I know. <laughs> See, I have managed to curate my feed so that I love Twitter. I really love the people who are on my Twitter feed and it isn't filled with vitriol. This is the first experience I've really had of, you know, coming in for the full kind of Twitter effect. And, and yet it was nowhere nearly like it can become, of course. But there's a certain degree to which people felt really invalidated. And that was from someone very intelligently pointed this out after about a, a day or two, that it was the headline and the deck for which I take responsibility that was just too flipped.
0: I was wondering about that because when I first saw the headline, well, it was kind of the meta headline that appears in social media that's like, don't worry about the lost year. And that's all it said. I thought, oh, no, what's this? And then when I started reading it, I thought, ah, misleading, clickbait headline. That's not really what it's about.
1: Yeah, totally my fault. I mean, I take 100% responsibility for that. Yeah. And t- honestly, we we changed it. <laughs> we updated it after that very thoughtful person on Twitter actually said, you know what, the problem is the headline and the deck, the body of the article is I thought, okay, let's see if we could fix this. But leaving that aside, people felt invalidated. And it may well be that they never read beyond those lines that I was saying, you know, everything is fine. Just get your stuff together and your kids will be fine. Stop screwing them up. I mean, because
0: that is kind of what it sounded like. We are very sensitive these days. Parents are, I understand that we're going through a lot. We feel like we're doing everything wrong. We're feeling like our kids are struggling. We don't know what to do. But I I think what was great is you actually talked about what we can do. It didn't feel like you're doing everything wrong, parents.
1: That's the thing. The piece really was meant to be reassuring because what had inspired it was partly, you know, just an intellectual question looking at this year and thinking, well, you know, I learned in the course of writing the book that early adolescence is now called a second critical period because it's a time when there's such massive and important brain change going on that it's like the zero to three period, which we all know already Mm -hmm. is such a critical time. So what happens if something comes along like this past year, which pulls all of us, frankly, out of our normal Trajectories, But, you know, kids in particular who are in a critical period of brain development. Mm-hmm. And then when the book came out in paperback, I was talking to a lot of parents, and that was always the first question when we would get to the question time. And it was nice to be able to say to them, well, okay, well, I don't have the answer yet, you know, because they'd say, what happens to our kids? Like, what does this mean this last year? But I'm going to find out. So that was really the driving force beyond the article and what happened when I started talking to experts, whether it was brain researchers, researchers more generally on adolescent psychology or teachers, principals, you know, people who have worked with or studied thousands of these kids, they all pushed back against the concept, the mere concept from the start, the notion Mm -hmm. of a lost year. And they all said, you know, there's no such thing. Kids are having a hard time right now, although it's really interesting because the degree to which they focus on the hard time really varies. If you talk to a clinical psychologist, like somebody, or you know a therapist, whose office is filled with kids who are selecting to be there in the first place, where their parents are, because they're having a really hard time, they're only seeing the negatives. But if you talk to a principal, let's say, who's seeing everybody, They're aware of the problems, but they're also aware of the fact that some kids are all right. And it was the same thing talking to parents. That's what was so interesting. As with the topic of middle school in general, most are reporting real worries about their kids. A notable minority, though, have kids who in certain ways are doing better and have done better this past year. Mm -hmm. So that's just fascinating. And
0: that's often kids who struggle with social issues or ostracization or anxiety issues or test anxiety. And so they actually eliminated those factors in their lives.
1: Exactly. That's it. And I think you really touched on it directly when you said we all feel so insecure about our parenting as it is. I mean, that's always true it's especially true for middle school parents and it's especially true this past year because we've been up against something ridiculous i mean the demands on on parents this past year have been crazy and kids are having a hard time but the fact that some are okay and some are having a hard time is not a reflection on the parents it's uh, you know It's a whole lot of other things.
0: Yeah. And to get to the mental health issue, I mean, you do very clearly in the article acknowledge that mental health is an issue. Like, you don't sweep that under the rug. You bring up the statistics from the CDC that mental health-related emergency room visits for 12 to 17-year-olds increased by 31% from 2019 in the period last year from April to October. So you acknowledge it. But I think what's interesting is you walk right into the question that there is two seemingly contradictory ideas here, that one, the past year has been... And terrible. It's a mess. It's awful. Our kids are a mess. And two, this idea that because of brain development, that most middle schoolers will actually be fine. How do you reconcile those two ideas? Well,
1: you have to keep two opposing ideas in your head at the same time. Now, I mean, full disclosure, I've gotten really into dialectical behavior therapy lately, which is all about sort of bringing that approach to your life. Instead of having all these buts, you know, with opposing thoughts, you realize in life that that two opposing things can be true at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, like my middle schooler is driving me crazy and I love my middle schooler. You know what I
0: mean? <laughs> that's that is
1: true. <laughs> right? Because life is made up of all sorts of contradictions and you have to be able to keep them in mind at the same time if you're going to be able to do anything about it. So that's the case. Yes, right now really sucks. I mean, it sucks. This has been a bad year. And at the same time, middle schoolers, kids in general, people in general, but especially middle schoolers, are really really resilient and just because this has been a bad year doesn't mean that there are going to be terrible long-term consequences because if you look at this in the grand scheme of things you know Lawrence Steinberg who I quote in the piece who was sort of the preeminent adolescent specialist was saying you know he's worked with a lot of kids in prisons solitary confinement is a level of isolation that does damage you know, psychic damage that can last a lifetime.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Being at home with your parents, attending school online, and being connected to your friends on social media is not solitary confinement, you know? And that there's a difference, he said, between being unhappy and impaired. Unhappy is part of life, but we can recover from that. If you're impaired, then you're going to have to learn how to manage the impairment.
0: So let's talk about that. It would be helpful if you could lay out some of the factors that keep kids from tipping from unhappy to impaired. Like you wrote about their connections to at least one friend or vulnerabilities. Like, What are the other things we should look out for and how can we help?
1: I mean, the rule here, what's at work here, is the exact same as the elements that go into the building blocks of resilience under any very difficult circumstances. I mean, life brings difficulties, unfortunately, to many, if not most kids. Some kids get an enormous dose of them, generally low-income kids, you Mm -hmm. know, but kids anywhere on the income spectrum have them because it happens. The death of a parent, mental illness in the family, alcoholism or drug abuse in the family. I mean, all, all sorts of things happen that are really, really, really tough bullying, for example. But there are factors that can help a kid recover and grow stronger and go on to be fine. And some of it we don't have any control over. You know, some of it has to do with temperament, tendency toward anxiety or depression, you know, things that are hardwired and that are inherited. But the things we can do that really make a difference are connection, making sure the child has at least one person, you know, one sustaining friendship and Mm -hmm. some solid relationships with adults who really see them and celebrate them and are attuned to what's going on and are there for them.
0: And it doesn't have to be us. I mean, we just spoke with Jessica Leahy last week about inoculating kids from addiction. And one of the great quotes she had was that if a kid has just one single Trusted adult in their lives they can talk to, whether it's like a coach or a religious leader, a aunt, uncle, a teacher, or a parent, that it greatly reduces their risk for all kinds of risky behaviors. That's
1: absolutely true. And one of the problems of this period is that kids have been cut off from those other adults because they've been home. And once again, it doesn't mean that their parents are terrible people, although some home situations really are toxic, as we know. But it means that these other voices, these other presences, you know, where kids can just feel connected have been removed. That said, though, Zoom has opened up all sorts of possibilities for connection Mm -hmm. and for children and families who weren't as connected before. This is something that didn't end up in the piece because it just was too long.
0: (laughs) I could have read more, by the way, New York Times editors. Just saying. Oh, well, feel free to turn this into like a full cover story on the Times Magazine and I would read more.
1: I, I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm flattered to hear that, but I'll also say at the same time, it read better at this length, just as a read. <laughs> but anyhow, I was talking to people who were in low-income schools where many of parents in the past had not been able to attend parent-teacher conferences, let's say, because they have jobs where their bosses won't let them have time off. They have no right to take time for school conferences or they work schedules where they can't come to school events when they're you know scheduled, which, as we all know, are scheduled in such a way that is often just hellish for working parents. And with Zoom, they were able to be much more involved because they could connect with teachers, from home, you know, mm-hmm. without going to go into the school on a much more flexible schedule. School meetings were much better attended because people didn't have to kind of go and get there. They could just attend from wherever they were. So there are other forms of connection that formed and that I really hope, and I, and I think this will be the case, will be maintained in the future. And what all the psychologists were saying, too, is that so long as the kids were on social media, even though obviously for most kids, that is a pale second to in-person Communication and connection. yeah, sure. they had some connection, and that's a good thing. That's a protective thing.
0: Well, let's talk what else we have control over because I agree. overall, I find it very optimistic and encouraging, and like our principal said, it was filled with hope. But I can see why parents were insecure to some degree because I was struck by that line that researchers found that children's own perceptions, That their own parents are dissatisfied with them. Like, we point out all the ways that they're failing, or we don't like their grades. That plus poor parent mood, those two things are the strongest predictors of depression and anxiety in teenagers. I mean, I think that's good for us to know all the time, not just now. But I can see where parents started to feel like, oh, great, another thing, like I'm doing wrong. So let's talk about what we can do about that, because I think so much of what's difficult for parents is feeling helpless. And you talk about us needing to get out of this crisis mode so we can be in better shape for our kids. Uh,
1: Look, I know those findings are like a punch in the gut. They definitely are. They are for me. They are for many, many, many parents. They also happen to be true. I mean, this isn't the only time that I've seen that finding, you know, or something similar. It just happens to correspond to how kids were doing in this time period. Kids are extraordinarily sensitive to how their parents are doing, even if their parents are doing what they can to hide it they still feel it. You know, they have a kind of radar for that. And any of us who grew up with a depressed or unhappy parent, I think will remember, if you think about it, that when your parent is depressed or deeply unhappy, as a kid, you blame yourself. Mm. Um, And we do also, when we're depressed, anxious, we do have a tendency to become more critical of our kids because everything that isn't going 100% right makes us that much more anxious. And we tend to kind of snowball things into, oh my God, you missed an assignment. You're gonna end up on the couch for the rest of your life,
0: Mm -hmm. you know? I know, I struggle with this. I see my kids' grades and I go, oh, should I be worried about this? Is this just like how things are going? And it's been really hard for me to know how to talk about schoolwork and changing grades and not make them feel like their failures are messing up or it's tough. Like you wanna balance the encouragement with the realities of some of the struggles they're having. It's
1: really, really tough. And I mean, I, I feel like you and I could spend the rest of our lives researching the answer to exactly that question. Because of course, there again, too, I think there's a degree to which we don't have control, right? We don't really have control about how a kid is going to hear what we say, even if we did everything like perfectly, if there were such a thing, right? Mm-hmm. A kid who temperamentally is always going to hear the negative is going to hear the negative. But there are proven ways of communicating that up our chances of being heard in a way that isn't hurtful, right? Or at least yeah. makes it possible to convey the good along with kind of needs improvement. And I do think a big part of that, a very, very, very big part of that is being calm within ourselves. Mm. That sounds super like touchy-feely, and I don't mean it that way. It's not the way I'm wired. I mean, I think I was last relaxed back in 2003. (laughs) I'm not kidding. (laughs) But to the extent that it is possible to sort of lower the volume on our own worries and, you know, that endless film playing in our head of every possible disaster. We need to do it, we have to do it. If we won't do it for ourselves, we have to do it for our kids because we do not want to pass that on to them because they hear that as perpetual criticism and never being good enough, et cetera, et cetera, and that's awful, even though it's not what we mean and it isn't even necessarily what we say but it's what we give off.
0: Right. And and you mentioned that, that researchers talk about that it's kids' perceptions that their parents are dissatisfied right. with them. So we may not even be dissatisfied with them, but they are perceiving that.
1: Exactly. And we can't 100% control what they perceive. But to the degree to which we can be at peace with ourselves and as happy as possible, I really think that is the number one valuable thing that we can do for our kids.
0: Yes, I agree. And we've heard this from many people, but let's unpack that a little because I'm kind of obsessed with the New York Times comment section. I really like seeing which get flagged by the New York Times editors as like a New York Times pick. And they usually kind of cover the spectrum. It's not just like things that agree. So one that they flagged, and you probably saw this, but you're too cool to respond. (laughs) It said, as a parent, we think our example is important. It is. If you're an adult having a hard time In this pandemic hide it from your kids they come first now she got hammered on that response i mean gently people were like no we should like let our kids see how we're feeling we should let them know we're struggling she took away this idea that like we're doing right by our kids by not letting them know that we ever feel any sadness or pain I do not think that was the lesson you meant, but I'm hoping you can talk about that in your own words.
1: No, it's absolutely not the lesson that I meant. Actually, with that comment, I wasn't sure if she was being sarcastic or not, given what a lot of people were saying on Twitter about how, Mm. you know, they thought that I was telling them to just sort of like shut up and be fake. It's certainly not what I meant at all. And one of the administrators who I spoke with at one of the low income schools where, you know, where families struggle in quote unquote normal times, you know, that they thought that they were seeing, and I heard this from someone in a well-off suburban school district, too, that the kids were seeing the adults around them struggle with hardship and do the best they could and that the adults were sharing with the kids that, yeah, this was new. Teachers as well, they were figuring it out as they went along, doing the best they could, you know, hang in there. And that the principal thought that this really gave the kids more empathy. It gave them more empathy toward the adults because they saw that what they were experiencing. And in a sense, it was this sort of broader empathy toward themselves too, that, okay, like sometimes you're just trying to figure things out and doing the best you can, but trying to move in a positive direction. That's one thing. I think to share that is a great thing. Also, because the underlying message is, yeah, this is really hard, but we're going to work together and we're going to do the best we can to get through it. That's a great message. What isn't great is to be captured by your own stress, depression, anxiety, general unhappiness to the point where it blocks your ability to be present for your kid, Mm, you know, step out of yourself and think. What does my kid need in order to be okay? And I say this without judgment. I mean, my kids are now young adults, so I've had a long stretch of this. And I have committed every crime against psychological well-being possible. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Haven't
0: we all? You know, that's dude. like my my
1: headline. <laughs> but it's really hard. I mean, it's probably one of the hardest, hardest things to do as a parent. But I think that really is the holy grail. It is trying to just get enough of a handle on our stuff and figure out what we need in order to feel OK that we can then be present for our kids.
0: You know, it makes me think about that lesson you learn about healthy relationships, that one of the main factors in a strong relationship is the ability to give credit for even little things that you might normally take. Take for granted. And that's, I think, something in my relationship that works really well. And it was interesting because you, oh, I'm going to be emotional thinking about this. Last summer, when things are really brutal, especially, and my partner and I had all four of our girls with us for an extended period of time in a small space, but we made it work <laughs> thanks to some generous neighbors <laughs> that lent us their apartment next door and other <laughs> factors. And, you know, at one point we were sitting around the table and he, like, raised a glass to toast at dinner and said something about, here's to Liz, who had has worked so hard for all these months to scramble and make this happen and try to make a happy summer for us. And I just sat there and bawled. Oh, I can imagine. I was like, no, it's all of us. He's like, you did so much work and everyone should know it. And the kids, you know, saw me crying and I said, you're right, it's been so hard. But you know, one of the things that keeps me going is knowing that I need to do the best we can to make what we can out of this shitty situation. And I really think the kids actually saw things differently after that. Like when he called it out, it was such a, generous incredible moment not just for me but for them that's such a
1: beautiful thing to do it was
0: amazing and ever since then I noticed my kids being like more aware not all the time they're still teens and they got their own stuff going on but every so often they'll be like you know what thanks for dropping work and driving me today or like you know thanks so much for signing me up for this thing I know it was kind of complicated or took a while and I feel like they're seeing that a little bit they're seeing the try that I'm trying and it was helpful and it was a good lesson and thanks for letting me share that story story I just thought thought about it
1: I mean that's just so wonderful it's it's wonderful that he did that it really is and that and that you let him right that you didn't immediately you know you weren't like self-denigrating or just you know what I mean a lot of people can't take compliments right it's just a wonderful wonderful story And I'm not surprised that it changed things because it was really, like you said, a lesson in recognition and really an opportunity for your kids to be able to see that sometimes things are hard, but you try your best. And that's how you were translating your love for them into your home. I just think that's great. So
0: that would be my long response to that New York Times commenter who thinks that you're supposed to hide your emotions. Trust me, my kids have seen every emotion I have had over the past year, any emotion that's within me and even then some. So um, yeah, It's okay for them to know you're human. And I've even heard parents say things like, you know, especially when they have younger kids, they'll go in the bathroom and cry and come out and their kids will say, have you been crying? And they'll say, you know what? Sometimes mom just has a really bad day too. And I think it's okay for kids to know that.
1: It is. And there is a difference between being emotional and really not doing well. You Mm -hmm. know, you feel it when somebody is in the grip of something bigger than just being sad, having a bad day, dealing with hardship, that kind of thing. It really goes further. It's rising to the level of real capital D depression, you know, Mm -hmm. or anxiety that's getting the better of them, or a level of unhappiness with their lives for whatever external reason that really ought to be attended to. And of course, you know, part of what's happened over the past year is that we're all cooped up together. You know, that's the other thing. It's not just our kids who don't have the usual outlets for being able to have other people in their lives and other activities. I mean, that's true for us, too. Oh, yeah. Really. Really. Hard. So once again, I don't mean to be beating up on people if they are suffering under enormously difficult circumstances. It's just that we're at a point now where we are starting to come out of it and think about the future. And, you know, mental health experts are saying that they anticipate seeing problems in the fall when kids are back full time. You know, teachers and principals are saying this too, because there's going to be a period of readjustment. Mm -hmm. So let's look ahead and sort of anticipate what the problems could be and not be blindsided and think about what we can do to try to help them, help ourselves through this in as positive a way as possible.
0: And that comes back to really what I thought was the thesis of this, which is that kids will be okay, (laughs) generally, Mm -hmm. and that If there's one thing we can do, it's start by getting ourselves out of crisis mode so that we can be there for our kids in the best way. And if we see ourselves really suffering and still in crisis, we need to work on that. And I didn't think that was said with judgment. I thought it was said out of love and concern and you supporting parents to be at their best, even under these horrible circumstances.
1: And by work on that, I don't mean that parents should be dealing with large systemic issues in an individual way, you know, that it all rests on their individual shoulders. I don't. There are large systemic issues. And at the same time, we all need to do as much as we can to be okay, right? So that could mean at this point, the way life has been, making sure to take the time to have phone conversations with the friends who really sustain you, or, you know, taking walks, doing whatever it is that sustains you, that keeps you healthy. I mean, if possible, if, if you need extra help, like professional help, and I say this with no judgment whatsoever, trying to get it, which is a big ask, frankly, since... Mm-hmm. We know what the expense is. We know also that there's a mental health crisis right now and all the practitioners offices are full. And I really, really feel for the parents whose kids are having a very hard time and who can't get help for them because it's just impossible right now.
0: Yes, and I'm glad you also brought up a lot of the systemic issues because there's challenges with people who don't have technology. There are black and brown families who are going through like a whole different level of trauma on top of all the pandemic stuff and the school stuff. It's a tough time for a lot of us. And I I really hope that people will read the article and take away so much of the helpful advice and the positivity and the reassurance that our kids will be okay. I just love the line you wrote that you said, we need to praise them for their flexibility and resilience and ability to change. And that's the final thing I took away from the article is that our kids are flexible, they're resilient, they can change, and with our help, they're going to be okay.
1: I'm so glad that that's the message that you took. As you're reading it and as you're saying it, I'm thinking, yes, I have to remember that.
0: Well, if you need to remember it, just feel free to turn to your New York Times article. For our listeners who have not yet seen it, it's How to Help Your Adolescent Think About the Last Year. You can get it digitally. Here's my little hint. I probably shouldn't say that. But if you're out of your free articles and don't have a subscription, just switch browsers. I didn't actually say that. But it's excellent. It's really worth seeing. If you haven't already seen it, go all around your social feeds like I have. So, Judith, if people have questions for you, if they want to follow you, see what you're up to, what you're writing next, where are the best places for people to find you? on the socials and be nice to you like on Twitter. Okay. Well,
1: I, li- I really like Twitter. I still really like Twitter. So at Judith Warner on Twitter, I am trying to learn how to use Instagram, which for some reason is just blowing my brain
0: circuitry. <laughs>
1: so that's at Judith Warner books. There are like a million Judith Warners out there. Okay. So
0: Judith I, Warner books. Yeah.
1: It's hard to get my name to the extent that I remember to do it. I have a Facebook page that is at making sense of middle school, you can always reach me through my website, which is judithwarner.com after 20 years or something, I finally got my name. And I don't know if I'm leaving anything. No, out.
0: that's a lot. But anybody here who is on Twitter, like me, often go on, engage with at Judith Warner and say nice things to her because she deserves it. This is a great article. She's a really good person. You were incredibly kind when we had to reschedule at the last minute. Kristen's still mad that she couldn't make this rescheduled. But, you know, sometimes kids and pandemic stuff in school, things get in the way. And thank you for being so gracious. Oh,
1: please. Liz, if I weren't given the time mess ups I have had myself lately. That would be just the (laughs) height of hypocrisy. It made me feel better about myself. You did me a favor. Oh, well,
0: it's good to know even the parenting experts fall down sometimes. And listen, I'm glad you're going to stick around for cool picks of the week because I can't wait to hear yours. And we'll be back with those cool picks right after this. We're so happy to welcome our newest sponsor to Spawn, Tile Picks. And if you've checked out our Instagram lately at Cool Mom Picks, you have seen the awesome video of Kristen sharing her kids many, many, many ceramic horse figurines her daughter has made and brought home over the years. We all know the feeling of not wanting to toss our kids artwork and craft projects, since every single one is extremely precious, of course. But the clutter really adds up. Ask me how I know. So here's an idea, parents. Photograph them and hang them in a gallery on the wall using tile picks. If you don't know tile picks, it's tile P I X, tile picks. They've created a whole new approach, making it so easy to hang and display your favorite photos. You can build a memory wall like Kristen did, filled with photos of her own daughter's special artwork, or use tile picks really to hang photo tiles for anything at all. You just build a layout with as few or as many tile picks as you want, then choose your own favorite photos to tell a story. They've even got an exclusive patented splits feature, which I know sounds very fancy, but it really just helps you turn a favorite photo into gallery art of any size through their site, or they even have an iOS app. Then you can move your photos around on your wall. You can nudge them, rotate them, swap them out, all without nails, tape, or wall damage. It's actually incredibly cool. You can see it all at tilepix.com. That's tilepix.com. And what's more, our listeners are getting 60% off With code CoolMoms, all one word, when you order 12 or more tile picks. Plus, you'll get free FedEx shipping. How cool is that? Again, 60% off with code CoolMoms at checkout at tilepicks.com when you order 12 or more tile picks. It's a terrific gift, too. And with Mother's Day and Father's Day coming up, we bet grandparents will love it. Well, now it's time for Cool Picks of the Week. Cool Picks of the Week. And Judith, you're our guest, so you get to go first. Okay, so my
1: cool pick is the Netflix series The Serpent, which is the story of Charles Sobrage, who was a serial killer in the 1970s, preying on hippies, basically, who were on what was called the hippie trail of South Asia. Basically, at that point, you could drive from Western Europe all the way to India. So it follows him in India and in Thailand. In, is this a
0: documentary it. or a film or a series?
1: You know, it's fictionalized, but it's based on a true story. So, you know, you have these really fantastic characters. And then, of course, the time period it's in, you've got all the fun clothes to look at. And it's super creepy. There's something about it that is just so deeply disturbing. It's hard. I think, you know, with a lot of of scary stuff it's still possible to hold up this distance between yourself and it which is of course why we watch scary things it's right?
0: cathartic did you see the snl sketch where it was all about um <laughs> women like it was a whole song they did about women watching murder shows on netflix no. oh, oh my oh, gosh I should... you i will link that up with everything else on our cool mom Pics page you have to see it it's so funny i
1: would love that I, I mean the last one i loved was that real estate thing i can't remember i'm, I'm bungling
0: it <laughs> dan levy and like real estate. Oh, that was yes, that was excellent. Well, this is I will send this to you. It's really funny. It's all the women in almost like a music video singing about how they're into murder shows right now. And it's just very, very funny, very astute. And, you know, I know Kristen's been really into the podcasts and stuff, so we can relate. I think it's cathartic and it's healthy.
1: But this one, I will warn you, this one doesn't offer the same kind of catharsis because it feels I don't know, maybe because what's happening wasn't so far in the past. I mean, I was a kid. I was a child child, but still, or maybe it's because Charles de Brage eventually was in France in the 90s. And I was, I mean, you know, it's just, I mean, idiotic. It's like, I put myself at the center of the universe. And that's what determines, you know, what's properly scary or not. But there was just something so creepy, without that ability to have it be just like way out there in catharsis lands. Wow. But all that said, I really... If enjoy is the word to apply to it, I was really into it. And it's very well done. It's definitely worth watching.
0: Thank you. You know, this is one I don't know. I thought I've like seen everything and everything is in my queue on Netflix. And now there's one more I'm going to have to add. I kind of I like stories like that. (laughs) So my cool pick, speaking of kids and resilience... We're going to go in a totally different direction. I have to recommend the coolest purchase. Lisa, who works with our Cool Mom Fix team, recommended these to me. I went onto our Recipe Rescue Facebook group a few months ago. I think it was before the holidays. And I said, Listen, I need to get my middle schooler cooking. She's terrified of the oven. Terrified like inordinately scared. What kind of oven mitts can I get for her that will give her super protection so that maybe I can get her just to start pulling out cookie sheets? And there were tons of great suggestions, but Lisa suggested these oven gloves instead of mitts. Have you ever seen this, Judith? No, that's really smart, They're though.
1: amazing. More of a sense of control. Yes, right?
0: exactly. So they're like, they're stretchy and comfy. They go all the way up to your elbows, probably even higher if you have a, a small child like I do. Really heat resistant. They've got like those little grippy things on it. And it's like the first time I have not felt like I'm going to drop things. I've never done well with oven mitts. And of course, she doesn't do well either because she's my kid. So they're really good. They're on Amazon. They're from a company called Beets and Berry. I just... I really love them. It was a great $21 purchase. And I will link them up because, you know, whether or not you have kids who are cooking, I just think they're great. They've, they they have made me actually want to put things in the oven more often and take them out. <laughs> so adult sizes too? Oh yeah. it's I think it's one size, oh, okay. but they're cute. They're black. Then they have ones in like kind of a bright blue. They have a purple. They're nice looking. And uh, I kind of like having them hanging on our wall. They look they look cute. I, I really, you know,
1: I try to avoid cooking because everyone hates my food, and also <laughs> I always burn myself. So something like that would be that goes all the way up the arm, so that I can't. I'm so clumsy that I can't, you know, just end up burning myself by existing. Would be great,
0: Judith. I'm gonna hook you up. They're awesome. They're really good. I love them. I'm so glad I have them. I want to get a second pair in a different color because why not? What else am I buying these days? (laughs) Well, Judith, thank you so much for joining us. What a fantastic conversation. I'm so grateful you could take the time to come and talk about this article. I really hope everyone checks it out. Plus, everyone should be sure to buy your book, which is phenomenal and still incredibly relevant and helpful. And then they stopped talking to me, making sense of middle school. Well, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Spawned. I miss Kristen, but I'm so grateful to have had an incredible guest, Judith Warner, and huge thanks to our awesome engineer, John Bowen. And hey, if you've got a minute and can leave us a five-star review, we would greatly appreciate your time. It really helps support us with very little effort on your part, and it also helps other listeners like you find us. The you have thing you can do... Hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. We have so many incredible guests coming up. I can't even tell you. I'll just let you know. They're all really good and you will not want to miss them. And hey, you can also join us in our Spawned Podcast community on Facebook where we chat about the show topics and pretty much anything else you'd like to chat about. We are friendly. Hit us up over there. Spawned Podcast community on Facebook and just say hi. Thank you so much for listening. This is Liz. Kristen will be back joining me next week. Have a great day. Bye.